You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, hey, as we continue our series, First and Ten, I want to ask you a question. What's in a name? Now, many times in the old days, the names had great meaning and purpose and actually spoke to the person's destiny and what they were going to be about and accomplish. And today, we kind of come up with cool names. We have baby books, and now we have this thing called the Internet, and we look, and we come up with fun names and all that stuff. And so names maybe are, have a different purpose and meaning than what they did in the old days, and not necessarily their destiny. But... Um, my daughter's name is Lauren, and that means wisdom. And you know what? It kind of works out. She's kind of a wise person, I think, and so that works out. And then uh, my son's name is Landon, which means a ridge on a hill, which means you stand out. And uh, he stands out. He's going to be six foot five, and so we're excited about that. <clears throat> and uh, my wife's name is Rebecca, which means she's an ensnarer or trapper or goat herder. And... Uh, so, yeah, my wife is a goat herder. Yeah, so she ensn- she ensnared me and trapped me. And uh, no, I'm kidding. So <clears throat> and then uh, my name is Christopher. That's what my mom calls me. So I know I'm in trouble when that name is, is uh, said or even in my family at other times. My wife or kids will say Christopher. And I know they know it drives me nuts and it's to get my attention. But that actually means Christ in you. And so I love that that is my name and uh, hopefully trying to live that out. And uh, Nick's name actually means I sing like a girl. And uh, so when y'all do that and uh, the other staff have fun names as well. So think about what your name is and what it means. And actually, Jesus talks about our name and how important it is. And one of the things that he says is if we talk bad about someone and, and talk about their name, we've actually defamed their character and we've committed what he calls murder. And that is someone walks into the room and you see them maybe for the first time and you've been told something about them, whether it's true or not, but you've already, there are characters already been assassinated. Jesus calls that murder. And so he wants us to think carefully about how we speak and talk about other people and to let people get to know them without us defaming the character, actually murdering the, who they are before people even get to know them. So this morning we're going to be talking about what's in a name, and the reason for that is because the name of God, the personal name of God is Yahweh. And he said, I am the I am, and I am to be to be. And so his personal name that he has given himself is Yahweh. And so whenever he encounters people all throughout Scripture, that's what he says. What is your name? And he says, my name is the I am the Yahweh, his personal name. And so over the last few weeks, as we've been talking about first and 10, the first thing that we talked about is that we should worship the right God because there aren't any other gods. And then the right God, we should worship him rightly, that he has specific ways that he desires for us to worship him. Because if we don't worship him in that ways, then we, those ways, then we can be confused and begin worshiping other gods. And then also this morning, what he wants us to think about is the power in his name and that his name gives character to who he is and that we need to be careful with our words. We need to be careful with our promises and we need to be careful with the way that we live because we are an image bearer of Christ. We're an image bearer of God. And that when people see us and we proclaim the name of Christ follower, people are looking at us and we are image bearers. And so they interestingly enough, they see God in us and through us or they don't. 
And so we're, car- we're carrying his name. And so sometimes the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we promise, we're actually character assassinating God's name because of the way that we're doing those things. And so that actually changes, I think, how we use his name and how we engage him in worship. And that as followers of Jesus, since we are now holy beings through us saying yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit has taken residence with inside of us, we are now temples of God. And so everywhere we go and everything we utter is an act of worship. So think about everything that you say, everything that you think, the way that you act, those are all acts of worship. And would those be things that we would take and place as offerings before God in the temple of his? I think that drastically changes how we think about the way that we think, act, and love one another. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says this, You must not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, some of your versions, if you have an older version, will say, do not use the name of the Lord in vain. And we'll talk about what that means here in a little bit. But this misuse of the is the word vain in the newer ones. And then there's also a translation that I want you to see is the Amplified Bible. And uh, one of the reasons I want you to see is because it kind of explains a little bit more of what the um, Hebrew um, meaning is for those different words. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, irreverently, in false affirmations or promises, or in ways that impugn the character of God. In other words, our words and the way that we live matter because we're character assassinating him. The next part of it, for the Lord your God will not hold you guiltless, nor leave you unpunished, the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power. Even as we even sang today, that there's power in the name of Jesus. Why is there power in the name of Jesus? Because by no other name can one be saved. That's where the power resides, because he's the son of God. And so that's why there's power in that name. And it's an act of worship to to mention his name and to, to use his name. And so that word vain literally means to have nothing, to make it empty, um, that's the idea of nothingness or completely worthless to no good purpose. So in other words, God says, do not make my name of to be empty and of no good purpose. In other words, the reason that we should lift up his name is for worship. But when we use it in vain, we make his name empty and of no good purpose. We take the name of the Lord in vain and we use careless words and careless promise and careless living any time that we have self-conceit. And we make his name nothingness and unreliable and empty. And listen, I think that's one of the things that the world has actually been shouting to us as followers of Jesus. I've been looking for proof in the way that that Jesus changes lives and I'm not seeing it. So therefore, the church is irrelevant to me because we don't see the power. We don't see the transformation happening in our lives. And so the world has run away from what we know and understand to be this truth and salvation and life, the full life that we can have in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that I want you to understand from this passage in Exodus chapter 20, verse verse 7, is this, is that to misuse his name means that we have words and we're careless with them. And several ways that we're careless with our words. One is that we're defiant against God. Is it someone that they know God or have a general understanding of God, but they're not interested in him? So their speech is defiant. And so you've heard people talk in, in such a way where they say things and they'll use God's name in vain and they'll talk against him. And so that's that defiant type of deal, literally against him and, and actively, forcefully saying anything negative about God that they can possibly do. And so that's a defiant language. Then also another way that we ha- that we use careless words is whenever maybe we've had a bad experience. And so we've had a hurtful time, something's happened in our life and we're questioning God. And so we use words in such a way, again, that impugn the character of God. 
So a good illustration for you is Job and his wife. Job was a godly man, and he was striving to pursue and to know God and to live out in that way. And in the midst of all of that, the world, his world began to crumble around him. So he lost all of his wealth, he lost all of his family, and it was down to just him and his wife. And his wife came to him and said, why do you still praise the name of God, even though everything that gives our our life value humanly is gone, you still praise the name of God. And Job said, I will never not praise his name for my last breath he has given me. Whatever he wants to give me, whatever he wants to take away from me, he can do that because he's my God. And we, in humanness, are much like Job's wife. And when things go wrong, we ask why and we curse the name of God, because it's, he's taken away or whatever's happened, our world begins to crumble. And our natural thing is, why, God, would you do this to me? Whenever God is in the midst of the storms, he's there with us. And we forget to lean into him. And so we turn it into ourselves. And again, this vain self-conceit and worried about, I've lost this and I've lost this. When the very beginning is, God's already given it to us. And we forget the one that he's also, he's also the giver. And he's the one that's the provider and the sustainer. He's the healer. All those names of God, that are, those are names he's given himself because those are characteristics of himself. And so in those moments when life hits the fan, we're to lean into the names and characteristics of God because God has not left us even in the midst of that. So the other way that we do it is we're just casual about it. I've seen some of your uh, Facebook posts or Instagram posts and you put little anacronyms. Um, for, you know, OMG or what the, you know, all those kind of things that we do. <clears throat> and I won't use them for you. You're smart enough to figure them out. And we're casual about that. And so what you're basically saying in those moments is this is my act of worship. And God says, my name is of worth and of value. Do not be casual with my name and how you speak about me. That even on Facebook and Instagram and amongst your friends, those words matter. So don't be casual because you are worshiping even in those moments. And that, if we keep that in our mind and our heart, that changes how we speak. And for many of us, it would muzzle us. That we would just kind of put our hands in our pockets and put a muzzle over some duct tape and say, you know what, it's going to hurt for me to speak because I'm going to have to pull this duct tape off. And because the scripture says it's better to be quiet and to be thought to be wise than to speak and to know different. Our worship is that as well, as it's better to be silent than to speak and to harm the name of God. We have careless words of watch our speech because our words do matter. Sticks and stones may hurt, but words cut deep. And so we need to be careful about the words we speak, how we speak them, and when we speak them. So careless words, but then also this idea of careless promises, that we're not to be people to make vows and to make them casually. Obviously, one of the main ways that we see this and understand this is in the context of a marriage relationship. That when two come together before each other, we're before witnesses and before God, and we're making a vow, we're making a promise to live out. Now, listen, life happens, God understands that, but he doesn't want us to be careless about that vow and to not say it with an idea there's an out. That whenever we make a vow in those situations, we're entering into a contract, a covenant, and that is, and again, the idea is that Two salt pouches come together and you take salt from each other's pouch. And the only way you can break that covenant is if you can find exactly your granules of salt out of the other one's pouch, which is an impossibility. So when God enters into covenant with us and has vowed with us, I will not break that covenant. We understand that it's his character that he will never leave us or forsake us. 
We also understand that our humanity, there are going to be times that we're going to fail and not completely do that. But then our intent is when we come into covenant relationship and vow together on a few things, our desire is that we will fulfill it. However, there are times that we enter into interrelationships with each other and we know that we're not going to be able to fulfill those things or we don't or fully what it's going to cost us to go and so we're not as cautious as we could be. As a matter of fact, Jesus even talks about it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 33 and following. He says, you've heard it, that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Why? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. In other words, you should be such people of character as followers of Jesus that when you say yes, that's enough. That when you say no, that's enough. Now, listen, some of us, we actually need to say no more because we have an intention of somebody ask us to do something. And because we're good people and we want to hurt, we want to help people and not hurt people. We say yes to things. And even though we already know our schedule is too full and we probably won't be able to fulfill that commitment, but we say yes anyway. And then immediately we begin working on the white lie that we're going to have to tell to get out of it. Right. OK, just me. OK. And <clears throat> so. And it's easier to tell a little white lie to let people down easier than to actually tell them no in the first place. And um, and so we need to be working on saying no because our yes needs to be yes and our no to be And it seems like a simple thing, but it matters. Because our word, then it begins to erode people's trust in you. And you, if you continually say yes, and then you have to continually back out. It erodes trust. And so for us, our yes to be yes and our no to be no so that we don't have to tell some of those white lies. So let's just practice this together. On three, we're going to say no, okay? One, two, three. Okay, you can do it, all right? So this week when someone asks you to do something and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, knowing that you may not be able to or possibly just say, hey, you know what? I love you. I care about you. I'd love to be able to do it, but I know my schedule right now and it's just not going to happen. Will you ask me again? That's the right way to do that, okay? Y'all take notes on that, and y'all try that this week. All right? Careless words, and then also this continue the idea of careless promises. There are times that we give something more weight to it. So we use God's name, or we use something, and we try to give more weight to our words because we know that we haven't been fulfilling our promises. Our yes hasn't been yes, and our no hasn't been no. And so now we begin to give extra weight to those different things. So we're like, hey, I will do X, and I promise that, you know, you fill in the blank. Hey, if you do whatever, I'll give you X. Or however you do it, you give more weight to your words or your requests because your word hasn't been your bond. And so now you're having to fill it in. And even Jesus goes to the religious people and he says, hey, I know that you're trying to strive by the law and not use the Lord's name in vain. And so instead of doing that, you're saying, hey, I swear by the temple or I swear by the altar in the temple. And they're finding ways around it. And so we do that, right? Your OMG and the, all those. We're trying to find ways around not using the Lord's name in vain. And rather than speaking the truth and letting our words be yes or no and following those up. And so those words of promises that sometimes we make promises and we try to give extra weight to them because we haven't been people of our word in the past. Just be people of the word. When you say yes, fulfill it. If you don't know, say no and then come back and fulfill it. It's much better to say no and then show up than to say yes and to not be there. Careless words, careless promises, then also careless living. 
whenever you proclaim the name of Jesus, you are now living in the image of God. You're living in the image of Christ. Christ is in you when you said yes to Jesus. So in the very moment in the garden, whenever God breathed his breath into Adam, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God was impugned put into him. And after that moment, whenever they fell, the human longing was to be in the garden. And that what that meant was to have perfect relationship with God, to have God in your residence with you. And so we have longed for that. And then from that moment that we've said yes to Jesus, God now lives in us and we're in relationship with him and we're the image bearer of him. So everywhere we go, everything we say, everything about our life now from that moment on is an act of worship. So we're living image of him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 17, Paul kind of digs into this truth for us as that image bearers. And he says this, since God chose you to be holy people... All right. In other words, you are priests, you are pastors, you are missionaries, you are those things. Because you said yes to Jesus, the old life is gone, the new life has begun, and a big part of that new life as an image bearer is you are priests to other people. And they're looking at and asking how, what does it look like to know and to live life in Jesus. To be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. How many of you have ever prayed for patience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of you have done it. You've made that mistake, right? That's one of the things I'll tell you. Do not pray for patience because the very moment that you do, God will begin to teach you. And everything in your world will begin to touch you. Your kids, your spouse, your work, your car, you know, everything, your finance, everything will begin to test your patience. Paul tells us we are to be clothed with patience. In other words, we're to have long suffering, long patience with everyone that we do relationship with. That we are to be gentle hearted toward everyone. That we are to be kind, overly kind to other people. That, that's to be our clothing because we're now holy people. We're different. So think of it this way. How many of you have in your kitchen and y'all have these things called sponges, you know, or maybe you used to, and you would use those sponges and you would clean and you would do different stuff and sometimes they would get a little rancid. You know what I mean? And so you would go and you would touch it and you would squeeze it and it'd be like, oh, even your hand stinks. Okay? This is what Paul is talking about. That as followers of Jesus, we are sponges. Whatever we bring in either brings life or brings death to us. And sometimes our little sponges have been used there and we haven't been careful about what we've been putting in and what we've been taking in and cleaning and it gets a little rancid. And so whenever we squeeze it, instead of life-giving stuff, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience don't come up, anger, frustration, words of not encouragement come out. And so Paul tells us, listen, you're sponges. What are you taking in and what is going to determine what's going to be coming out? Next part of that passage, make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, know that we're human. Forgive anyone who offends you. How many times are we supposed to forgive? Every time. And this is hard because there's some people that are hard to forgive. Right? Because they've hurt you deep. And so you've got to work through this. It doesn't mean forget. It means forgive. And to forgive is a whole different thing than forgetting, and that's a whole other sermon. But God has called us to forgive over and over and over 
anyone who offends you. And it is those things. It's harder to forgive those. The closer they are to you, the deeper it is, the more surprising the offensive. So it's harder to forgive those. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves. Again, this idea of clothing ourselves with love, which binds all of us in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Here's the passage I want you to think deep about. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Because the stress of life is going to come. The consequences where things like things are just kind of falling apart are going to come and the sponge is going to be squeezed and what's going to come out. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Man, I have a weird brain, okay? And so when I saw this passage years ago and was thinking about it, I was like, yes, God loves musicals. God wants us to live life like a musical. Think about it. I mean, life is falling apart. Your car breaks down. Your bank account says you can't get it fixed and all that different stuff. And so here's what you're supposed to do. The hills are alive with the sound of music. Oh. Right? I mean, that's supposed to be us. Y'all are, y'all are welcome. I am 16 going on 17. All right. All right. Anyway. A lot of Sunday nights with free TV. Here we go. What it means is this. Life will happen. But for us, as followers of Jesus, the sponge has been soaked up with the holiness of God. We've experienced His peace. We've experienced His patience. We've experienced His humility. We've experienced, we know, right? We can know, go know. We don't just intellectually know, we've experienced it. We've been brought from Egypt, we've experienced slavery, now we're in the midst of freedom. And so in the, all that stuff, listen, the world can go to heck in a handbasket. But I have peace and I have joy and I can sing with a song. The hills are alive because I have not in slavery anymore and now I am free. And the world is watching us. And they're saying when the sponge gets squished out, does the stuff of the old person come out and the stench of that or the aroma of Christ? 24-7 worship with Him. Do not misuse the name of God by the way that we live. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks to God, to Him, to God the Father. You are a worshiper, 24-7, careful words, careful with your promises, careful with your life. How you live, how you act, how you think matters. So here's one of the How do we cure your dirty mouth? I've heard some of you at the games. I've heard you talking to your kids. I've seen your Facebook. you got a dirty mouth. We all do at times. The sponge comes out. Matthew 12, Jesus A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, the fruit will be good. If the tree is bad, the fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. Again, here he's talking to the religious people. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Have you ever been there? 
You said something in the heat of the battle and it just, shoo, like you vomited it out. And immediately your next thing is like, oh, I didn't mean that. Actually, you did. Because that's what's in you. That's what got squeezed out. That's what's been residing with inside of you. That is the fruit of that tree. You may not like it. This fruit may be stenchy. It may taste bad and you hated it coming out. You definitely don't want to re-eat it. And you're like, man, how, where did that come from? That came from your heart. You've been letting that resonate and sit there and you've, you've kind of held it in the closet and you didn't want to deal with it. And it is there and the stuff hit the fan and out it comes. Your real thoughts and the real you came out in that moment and you hate it, but it is. But a good person produces things from the treasury of a good heart. One of the reasons I loved going to the dentist as a kid was because if you got a good report, you got to go to the treasury box. And you got to get something good, right? So you look forward to that. That's what Paul is telling us, is that there is a treasury that should come from our heart so that when life hits the fan, you pull it out that treasury box and you're giving people treasure, not stench. Which is counterintuitive to our humanness. It only comes from the Spirit of God. To be able to say things or to not say something. When you want to say something bad. An evil person produces things from the treasury of their evil heart. And I tell you this. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Wow. Every word. Every thought. Every action will give an account for those things. Be careful with your words. Be careful with your promises. Be careful with the way that you love and care for other people. It matters. But here's an interesting thing. In Ezekiel chapter 36, we get a good promise. When you say yes to Jesus, this is what's happened. I will sprinkle clean water on you. He really means baptize. And you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. And you will no longer worship idols. You will no longer pursue the wrong gods. And I will give you a new heart. You will have heart surgery. You will be transposed. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. How can you have long suffering? Because I got a new heart. How can I be patient? Because I've got a new heart. How can I be humble? I've got a new heart. All these different things, all these characteristics. Because here's the deal. God's not asking us to do something that he can't do through us. So it's not even our heart, it's his heart, and he's asking us to do that. Why? Why is he asking us to do it? And in that spirit that I've given you, that new heart that I've given you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, so that you can follow my commandments. I don't give you something that's impossible. As a matter of fact, I make it possible. I take residence with inside of you, and I help you walk the path that I want you to live. So you don't have shame, pain, regret, so that you have life and life to the full. The Ten Commandments aren't checking off boxes. It's pursuing and knowing Jesus and living out what our heart and our spirit want and long to do. As a matter of fact, when we pursue other things, the reasons we have pain, shame, and regret is because God is jealous for us and our heart, our new heart, is jealous for the affection of God. And we've cheated on him and we know it and so we long to be in his presence again and we want that because we have a new heart. And he's given it to us so we can pursue him with all of the affections. 
that we can possibly have in his power and in his strength. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, thank you for your name. Thank you that it's not just a name, but it actually is who you are. That you're a personal God that we can know, not just intellectually, but we can experience you and have a relationship with you and talk with you. And you talk back and you love us. Father, that we've experienced your long suffering with us. We've experienced your patience with us. We've experienced you bringing us out of Egypt to new life and from slavery to new life. And Father, that we've experienced what it is to be a friend of God, not an enemy of God. We've experienced all these things that these are not just names, but they're characteristics of who you are. And we can know you in each one of those ways. So Father, I pray that we would, as we live our life and as we say the things that we say, that we remember the fact that all of these things are acts of worship. And as we move about in our day, that we are a holy people, a temple of the living God, and it matters how we worship you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.